Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ESPN Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Yunus, and as always, joined by our two resident F1 experts, Lawrence Edmondson and Nate Saunders. And coming up in today's episode, we'll be delving into some of the stories that came out, out of after Sunday's mad race, rather, at the British Grand Prix at Silverstone. Weekend number one, we'll be looking ahead to weekend number two back at Silverstone, and we'll also be taking your pit stop predictions and visiting a new segment called Nate's Bald Predictions. Dun, dun, dun. I'm actually super excited about that one, Nate, because you know, it's I, I'm going to call it my baby. It's my little bald baby. It's slightly my baby because Nate kind of coined the phrase itself and he didn't even know. And I saw it in his Instagram story and I was like, oh, how do we not have this, Nate? Yeah, I mean, it's been something, I think Lawrence and I joked about it a few years ago and then I quietly let it die. Because I thought, you know, <laughs> we're not going to keep having this. And then, I, and, and can we also say this is this is also a visual gag. So if you if you don't know what Nate yeah, looks like, go on the ESPN <laughs> website, find his byline, and yeah. you'll and get my it. byline. Looks like that famous picture of Henry VIII when he's just become king of England, <laughs> and it's kind of side on. My face is all squeezed, so you can't see my bald head on that. Or but you can just check out Nate's Instagram where he's got all his fly pictures up since he's all summertime fine pumping weights in the gym. So you know what? All I have to say is watch out Lewis Hamilton because pretty soon Nate will be doing them core work thingies where you hang off of the bar. Like I don't even know how people get up there, but that's one for another day. So make sure you look out for that. Nate's bald predictions. They're coming up later on. So we've got Lawrence gets nerdy and Nate's bald predictions. And speaking of Lawrence getting nerdy. That's probably where we're going to start now. We are currently tracking the big news that we're waiting to hear what comes of these Renault protests into Racing Point. We do know that that is pretty big news and it will definitely, hopefully, we will see how it will impact um, this coming weekend at Silverstone. But as of now, when we are recording the podcast, it's not come out yet, so we're continuously tracking it. If it does break while we're recording, we're definitely gonna update you guys. If not, make sure to keep it at ESPN's Formula One website. And then Nate and Lawrence will be absolutely manic this afternoon, trying to update it to the very last moment. So we promise we'll get you covered there. But let's start off with why I say Lawrence gets nerdy, because I just love hearing Lawrence talking about tires. And usually when we start talking about tires, you know, everyone wants to doze off, probably take a nap and go, here we go again. But after what we saw Sunday, tires going everywhere. Lewis Hamilton limping across the finish line with three tires. All the memes have launched since then. We did touch on it a little bit, Lawrence, but we knew that the Pirelli was going to investigate further to find out why it affected so many um, of the cars. So what's just the latest there? So Pirelli's investigation came back and it was pretty much as we thought looking at it uh, on the TV screens that the tyres physically there was so much wear on them, uh, so much of the rubber had gone missing that it became susceptible to the forces uh, that you experienced around Silverstone and the tyre just ripped itself apart. That is pretty concerning isn't it? Sounds like Nate in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I need to clarify, I haven't paid Alexis for these, for these <laughs> shout-outs. I appreciate that. They're just um, from the goodness okay. of my heart. But yeah, back to the shiny tires, like Nate's bald head. Okay. <laughs> Concentrate on the tires. Um, so there's no real change going into this weekend. They're actually sticking with the same tires. They don't have a huge amount of choice. What they are doing, which was already planned, was um, making all the compounds softer. Now, on the face of it, that sounds like the kind of thing you probably don't want to do if you've had a tire failure. But... In fact, um, because those softer tyres degrade at a quicker rate, and the important thing is to have uh, the difference or know the difference between degradation and tyre wear. Degradation is the loss of performance from the tyre, uh, usually due to overheating, and wear is the physical loss of the rubber from the tyre. But the hope is that the uh, kind of more extreme degradation that they'll see, especially as it's, it's meant to be hot. I'm looking out the window just uh, down the road from Silverstone at the moment, and it doesn't look hot out there at all. It's cloudy and raining a bit. It's meant to be hot, and if that extra degradation kicks in before the tyre wear uh, gets to that critical stage, then in theory the drivers will pit for performance reasons before they ever get into that danger zone with the tyres. Um, which is fine in theory, but I think there, there's still some big question marks about it because um, the hardest tyre we're going to have uh, this weekend was the medium tyre last weekend, and we saw Roman Grosjean do 36 laps on that. Now, Valtteri's failure was, I think, on lap 37 on his set. So it's not that much difference. And also, when Grosjean's tyres came back to the pits, there was no rubber on them. So my concern is that the teams will look at that Grosjean stint and they'll think, well, 
you know, he was actually doing quite well there. He was still, mm-hmm. I think he was running as high as seventh when he pitted, uh, which for the Haas is pretty good. Obviously, he gained a load of positions because everybody else made a pit stop, but he was actually relatively competitive against the cars he was fighting. So a lot of the teams are going to look at that. And whereas Pirelli would like them all to kind of move towards a two-stop, which means they never put those long stints on the tyre that caused the issues we saw last Sunday, I think they're going to look at that and they're going to say, well, we've got potentially 36 laps in the bag here. There's a risk. There is a huge risk. Uh, but, you know, Formula 1 teams, especially if you're a bit further back, especially if you're not going to get a point any otherwise, or if you're someone like Red Bull, and, you know, your only chance to beat Mercedes is to do something different, then maybe they'll look at that and they'll say, well, actually, we'll try those 36 laps. And then you're getting into that wear um, area again, where potentially you could have a failure. So I don't think we're completely out of the woods. Um, it adds mm-hmm. a kind of element of excitement, which I don't think the sport particularly wanted. Uh, certainly Pirelli didn't want, but uh, it is still there. And thankfully, all the front left failures we saw last Sunday didn't end in, in anything too dangerous. In fact, the, the biggest uh, accident was Daniel Kvyat's, which was mm-hmm. also a tyre failure by the looks of it. They, don't, they still fully don't understand that one, uh, or they didn't as of uh, two days ago. So uh, that's a bit of a concern as well. So still plenty of question marks. A theory that we shouldn't really have the same problems if the teams do the extra pit stops that we're expecting because of the degradation. But this is Formula One and the teams will try and do everything they can to get a competitive advantage. And I think in some cases that may see them go long again. So um, yeah, still plenty to talk about. It'll be interesting to see what the teams say as well going into the weekend and how they treat Friday practice. Um, Because uh, under the allocations of tyres they get, they only get two sets of the hard tyre, which means if they want to use one on Friday, you don't have two for the race. And Pirelli obviously want them to use two in the race uh, for the strategy to to take the uh, strain off those tyres. Anyway, lots of stuff going on. Uh, Oh, one other thing I should mention while we're still here, because I know we'll probably move on quite quickly, um, is that Pirelli has also uh, increased the tyre pressures. That's quite significant uh, because the tyre pressures... um, basically protect the tyre uh, against uh, the defamation that it kind of experiences in the corners and all the loads and forces. So there's also hope that even if you get that excessive wear, the extra tyre pressure in there um, will help. And the pressures were particularly low uh, as a result of the safety car last weekend. So the safety car actually saw all this pressures dip lower than perhaps Pirelli would have wanted and lower than the starting pressure, in fact. So um, it was a kind of weird situation of a long stint with unusually low pressures last weekend and they're trying to rectify all that with these compounds that degrade quicker which should mean short stints plus higher tire pressures which also adds to degradation therefore encouraging people to go for short pit stops so pretty pretty confident it's gonna be okay but we will see we'll have to see what happens oh we will see indeed i hope everyone's still with us to be fair that was quite exciting (laughs) because now i was explaining to all my brothers the difference between like wear and degradation and all of that and they were like god we've lost you now they're like you've (laughs) gone down a dark f1 hole for sure but i mean uh just on the weather thingy of course i mean i have a little trusty app that we had to pay for um because i don't trust the regular weather app you never know weather's so hard to predict in london but as i guess maybe it could be good news that tomorrow is set to be the hottest day there at silverstone of the weekend at like 36 degrees that's like jamaica I mean, Silverstone or Jamaica might as well be. Lawrence might have to just go out there in some Speedos. And then Saturday and Sunday is 33 and 32, right around race time when we're supposed to see. So I guess coming for, um, just still chatting about the tires, coming, looking at practice on Friday, um, what are you going to be looking for the teams to be doing if we can even read you know, into anything as early as Friday? Um, I think you'll be looking to see, uh, one, if any of the teams use uh, that, set of hard tyres on Friday because if they do they're left with one for the rest of the weekend Uh, and um, that would be significant because if you're looking at a two-stop race the much better race tyre is the hard tyre. We we already saw what is this week's medium, last week's soft, how fragile that was. None of the teams wanted to use it anyway so that will be the same again and then the even softer compound they're adding on the end no one's going to want to use if they can avoid it so um, it'll be interesting how those tyres stack up as well uh, whether teams can find a way to manage them uh, but yeah, who uses those C2s? And uh, that means that they won't be able to use them in the race. Um, so I think that's what we look out for. Also, again, just what's happening to those tyres when they're out there, because um, it turned out there were a number of cuts in the tyres uh, from either gravel or debris uh, during qualifying as well. Some tyres had to be exchanged, which isn't that unusual, but it's still a concern at a circuit like Silverstone. So there'll be so much attention on what those tyres look like when they come off the cars. Um, Mario Izzola, who's the Pirelli Motorsport boss, does a media session every Friday to kind of run us through 
which tires look good, which tires don't, how long might they last, this kind of stuff. Um, usually, I think about four or five people turn up to it. This week, I expect it's going to be one of those Zoom calls, you know, that you see on the internet with just a panel of faces, uh, everyone asking questions about wh whether we're good to go racing. Um, but I, I, I think we will be. And also, it, the teams now know. They, they now know uh, what can happen if it goes wrong. No one wants to lose a race as a result of that. So there's also a hope that a bit of common sense from the teams will come into play and they won't push the tyres uh, further or to the lengths that we saw um, last weekend. I love how Lawrence is always the one of that presser, though. That was what like, you know, when, you know, a band makes it famous. And then they're yeah. like, I knew it before it made it big and everyone was at the gig. That's Lawrence in the front with his Mario Zola shirt on. <laughs> Lawrence was and there when they were performing. Mario Zola's a great dude. So, yeah, um, say, for, for people that haven't come across Mario Zola as a character in the paddock, um, look him up. He's a really, really cool guy. Um, he's an ambulance driver in his spare time. So during the uh, COVID lockdown, he was driving ambulances in Italy. Um, and he's just a lovely, lovely guy. So, um, yeah. And if you ever get a chance to listen to him, very soothing Italian voice. So uh, oh. for me, it's usually the last media session on Friday, although I have to admit, I've missed most of them this year. But usually at <gasps> a, a race weekend, I would pop down there and uh, see what they have to say. And it's a nice way to kind of finish your Friday. And then you can go off and, you know, leave the track. And, and, um, and uh, yeah, you've got kind of Mario's dulcet tones ringing in your ears. But, um, yeah, he's, oh. he's, he's, he's a fantastic guy. <laughs> Nate, do you want to chime in on anything tire-worthy? Well, Since um, we're all now looking at tires, to be fair, that is literally quick, the story of the week. <laughs> one quick Isola thing was we had a media dinner and he just kept ordering Peronis for the table. And so all night we were just drinking Peronis. Um, Even when you guys wouldn't ask? Yeah, it, 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 if we were like half full, Mario was like, you need a new Peroni. Um, <laughs> the only other thing I was going to add to Lawrence Gnerdy um, was, and I... <laughs> I'm laughing because I always joke about curb stories and stuff, but they've added a new curb uh, on the entrance to Beckett's. And that was one of the, one of the places where, um, that, yeah, they were concerned that they were picking up some of those, some of those cuts. Uh, yeah, that's what I've got. I've got nothing else for, for <laughs> Nate Gets Nerdy isn't such a good segment. No, you're right. We're, <laughs> we're saving you for the Nate's bomb yeah, yeah. prediction. I'm wasted on, I'm wasted on that. I mean, I mean, nobody, nobody just gets that twinkle in their eye quite like Lawrence when they're talking about, you know, brake sheen or, or tires. <laughs> All right, well, that's enough tire talk for now because as Lawrence said, we'll just have to wait and see exactly what happens, wait and see, you know, which team can manage their tires. But let's be honest, we kind of, we do like the fireworks, at least in the end. We'll see, we'll see exactly what happens come Sunday on a scorching weekend at Silverstone. But speaking of Silverstone, I mean, last weekend we saw things went all the way downhill for Valtteri Bottas. It's been a bit of a disappointing week for him, but there is some good news, I guess, in terms of contract signing. He has signed a new contract at Mercedes. Nate, what's the details there? Yeah, so this has kind of become a theme of Bottas since he joined Mercedes, is these one-year deals that extend his stay there. Uh, he's been the case since 2017. Um, and really, we knew as soon as George Russell confirmed he was staying with Williams, this was pretty much obvious that this was going to happen. Um, you know, from a fan perspective, I think a lot of people would have liked to see Russell go there. Um, you know, Russell's been really impressive with Williams, but from Mercedes' point of view, you can absolutely see why they'd take Bottas. You know, he's, he obviously fits into that team perfectly, doesn't rock the boat with Lewis. Lewis really enjoys working with him, which I think sometimes when Lewis says these things about his teammates, you know, like, oh, I really, you know, he's really pushing me and stuff. I actually think it's quite genuine with Lewis. Like, he really gets on with him. And if you yeah. compare it to the relationship he had with, uh, with Rosberg, that must feel like a night and day difference. So it makes a lot of sense. It's not the most exciting signing ever because I don't think Bottas can beat Lewis the championship. But at the same time, if you're Mercedes, I don't think you want that. You know, you know you're going to win the championship anyway. So why, why complicate it? Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, it'll be interesting because every year we go into it being like, this is Bottas's year. He has to, you know, he has to prove himself this year. He has to, but next year, Russell will be in the final year of his Williams deal. So it will be, now or never for Bottas, you know, he will have to prove that he can stay there long term because Mercedes have this great young talent. And also for mm -hmm. Mercedes, then the concerning thing for them is that they lose Russell in the same way they lost Ocon, you know, if they don't put him in that top seat. So the pressure will be on him next year, but it's hard to know what else he can do really to, to prove it unless he can win the championship. I think that's really the only thing he can do there. Or if Lewis leaves for some reason next year, you know, we're expecting him to sign a new deal as well. So yeah, hard to get, super excited about it you know Bottas is in that kind of Barrichello role that that he played to Schumacher 
And everyone liked Barrichello. Everyone likes Bottas. But no one ever thought Barrichello was a threat to Schumacher. And it's the same, in my opinion, in this, in this case. Well, I know exactly how important it is to get that dynamic right. Lawrence, um, what do you think about it? I mean, of course, because with, with this contract, I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, George Russell, and he did say he was happy that, you know, Williams, obviously, why would they let him go? We're seeing what he's done just so far this season that we've started. So what do you, what'd you make of it? Yeah, I think um, Mercedes probably would have been, would have toyed with the idea of, uh, of bringing George across, um, even for next year. But Williams were quite clear that they wanted that third year of that contract to remain in place. And I think part of that is because they're still looking for a buyer for the team. And uh, one of the important things going forward, uh, at least in the short term, is that you have a driver of George's standard uh, in the car. And, um, you know, and that's quite an attraction for, uh, for any kind of potential buyers. So I think that was um, a key factor in why Williams really put their foot down on that one. Uh, at which point um, it was a no-brainer for Mercedes, you know, why upset the situation they have right now? It works very well clearly car development, their streets ahead of everyone else uh, and the two drivers impact on that. As Nate said, that relationship is perfect. It's perfect for Lewis going chasing titles. And, uh, and then, you know, you've got a driver that, you know, if it came down to it, Valtteri is good enough to, with a good car to, you know, kind of beat the rest of the guys as well as he did last year. So um, I think it's a, it's a good thing, but I agree with Nate next year is going to be crucial for Valtteri Bottas' career because we're kind of already assuming that he's lost this one. He's 30 points behind after so many races. But, you know, there's a chance that, say, let's, Lewis has two reliability issues in the next two races and it looks very different all of a sudden. But on the basis that, you know, Lewis has a 30-point lead at this stage, already looking pretty locked on for this title, next year becomes so important for Valtteri. Because if he doesn't win that title, then, uh, you know, it's very hard for him to create an argument as to why he should stay at the team when you've got someone like George Russell waiting in the wings. But... Yeah, I mean, with Mercedes, the other thing is like going into a regulation change uh, beyond 2021 into 2022. In a way, the more you keep the same, you know, when you've got so much other stuff changing, the better it is. And uh, I think Mercedes right now are just in that sweet spot of a team that operates on such a high level. I think it's a bit unfair to give Bottas the Barrichello comparison, mainly because Barrichello uh, was signed as a number two driver. You know, in his contract, he was a number two driver to Michael. Uh, Valtteri isn't, they start on evil, yeah, equal footing. And if uh, Valtteri puts in the performances early in the year, if he gets a lead in the championship, uh, you know, he effectively you know, becomes um, the driver that Mercedes would push towards the title. So that's very hypothetical because it's not happened yet. But, um, but yeah, I, I think he, the one thing he demands and the one thing he's got there is that equal standing. And that's part of why that relationship will work so well as well. You know, there's, there's nobody worried about what the other guy's doing. And Valtteri's always very honest with himself. He doesn't look mm. to Lewis as to why Lewis is, you know, what's he done to get an unfair advantage. He looks at himself as to why he hasn't been able to match Lewis. And that's a very healthy environment within that team. And then um, also, like you said, that next year is probably going to be a now or never year for Valtteri. Uh, would you say this weekend is a now or never weekend for Valtteri as well? I know that we are tempted to say, okay, let's just give it to Lewis just now. Um, 30 points. Even Lewis himself, though, has said that he doesn't really think that that gives him enough breathing space. Um, Lawrence also just points out there are reliability issues that we could see happen. But is this weekend, how good does Valtteri need to come this weekend? And is there anything he can do? Because I've also noticed a lot of talks from what we were touching on just in the last podcast, the reaction part after Silverstone, about maybe he played it a little too safe um, in the race. I know nobody could have predicted what happened with the tire, but Lawrence, you could probably chime in after too. But is there anything that Valtteri can do going forward so that people can stop saying he's probably playing it too safe when, you know, Lewis is obviously not? I think from this point, Bottas has to be aggressive. You know, when you're that far behind, you can't really sit back and let things come to you. You know, even if, let's say he starts finishing second behind Lewis, he's still dropping seven points to him every time he mm -hmm. does that. And when you're 30 points back, you can't be doing it. So he really needs to kind of almost go at it like he ever, you know, we always hear in football, they say this is like a cup final, which I absolutely hate. But you have to, he has to act as if he has to beat Lewis every race and just treat each race as a standalone event. I've got to beat Lewis. He's got enough events to claw that gap back. But if it, was, if it wasn't Lewis, you know, you might back him to do it. But Lewis, I think Lawrence said it perfectly about the team being in that sweet spot. And Lewis is perfectly in that sweet spot as well. So we don't really get more than a couple of Mercedes like disaster races. And we had one. And unfortunately for Bottas, he was on the worst end of it, which was just purely bad, you know, purely bad luck. It could have been the other way around. 
Um, so yeah, I think he's just got to be aggressive. And this weekend, with the calendar how it is, we don't have as many races. So he needs, you know, we don't know how many races we're going to have beyond the calendar as it stands at the moment. So he hasn't, he hasn't really got that much time, I, I think. You know, it, it seems like a long time, but before we know it, we'll be midway through the season. So if he's still over a race win behind Lewis, I can't see it happening. Lawrence, I think, what do you think? Yeah, as I was going to say, I think a really good example of where Valtteri wasn't aggressive enough was at the start last weekend. He got a better start than Lewis. He was alongside him into the first corner. But from what I saw, it looked like he backed off and he let Lewis kind of take lead. Now, you can guarantee if that was Nico Rosberg back in 2016, he would have made Lewis have the decision of what happens next. Do we have an accident? Does Lewis run wide? Either way, you know, uh, it would be... Nico or Valtteri in this case, you know, pushing forward and potentially getting that position. And, you know, and that's fair because uh, Valtteri got the better start, you know, and that was his one opportunity. That was his one window. We saw during the race how difficult it was for him to try and get back into that race afterwards. I mean, he destroyed his tyre doing it, you know, as did Lewis. But he really, you know, that was a big uh, part of it because those cars were running pretty fast for the majority of that race, trading fastest laps. But he never got close enough or he never got as close as he did on that first lap. Uh, to actually take in the position. So that is exactly the situation where if Valtteri's going to beat Lewis and, you know, he's going to have to get his elbows out, that is a perfect example of, of, of where he needs to do it. Um, the other thing, which is incredibly difficult for Valtteri, is beating Lewis over a qualifying lap uh, because, you know, you're up against the guy with 91 pole positions in a league of his own in terms of records and uh, trying to beat him there is so difficult because at the moment when it's a two-horse race, that pole position is worth even more. Uh, for all the reasons we saw in, in last weekend's race. So, yeah, that, that, that's what he needs to find. And I don't know whether it means sacrificing a bit of the race setup for qualifying, if that's possible. You know, we talk about, or we've heard about drivers doing that in the past. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to be as dogged as possible when you're in the lead. But, yeah, he's got to do something. Uh, he's got to change something up. Um, but what, what he was saying after the race, interestingly, is that his approach is actually going to be, I'm going to take each race as its own event, completely blank out the fact that I'm 30 points behind in the championship and look at each event as, uh, as its own race, go and try and win it. I guess it's that cup final mentality. It's the mentality we saw Rosberg have. And we got so frustrated when he used to say that. We're like, Nico, you're within, you know, like reaching distance of your first ever world championship. How do you feel about it this weekend? And he would just say, well, you know, I'm treating it like any other race weekend. It's, you know, we've got to get through practice first. Then we look at qualifying. Then we look at the race. And it's really dull uh, when you're trying to get a quote out of someone. But it's also true that that's probably the only way you can ever try and overcome that kind of advantage. It's just, sorry, that kind of points disadvantage. Mm -hmm. It's just not to think about it and just to go into each race and, uh, and get, get the best you can. Well, I suppose that's a perfect segue now to just get some expectations because we're saving your predictions like i said for our new segment so let's just get some expectations just across the board um from what you guys you know hope will happen in even though last week i know nate was ready for a rant because things seemed to be going as normal and then came those last three or so laps when literally all hell looked like to break loose in terms of the tires so what are you expecting nate from from this weekend or who do you want to see come big I think we can expect a very similar fight at the front. And I think Lawrence is completely right. You know, Bottas is the guy who can make it a different weekend if he can attack from the beginning. We'll probably have Verstappen there as the best of the rest. What I'm interested to see is Racing Point. Obviously, they only had one car in the race last week. They didn't have their full-time driver. They had a guy who was kind of dropped in at the deep end, learning it as he went, got knocked out of Q2. Um, and I think that's where they're going to miss Perez this week. And this is not me knocking Hulkenberg, but it's a guy who's not in a great situation to utilize the best out of that car. And mm -hmm. Stroll was kind of going backwards. There was some fascinating race footage of him where the, um, the team was telling him, use your energy, use your energy, you know, the energy store. And he was saying, I've got nothing left. And they were saying, yeah, you do push the button. So you wonder how well he's been managing these race situations. Um, so for me, I'm really fascinated to see what racing point does because it feels like the British Grand Prix was a bit of a wasted opportunity for them. Um, so I hope that they come good. It would be a great story if Hulkenberg gets a, gets a strong result, but I can, you know, the, the top three we had in qualifying is pretty much how I think it's going to go this weekend. Um, hopefully it's jumbled around. Uh, you know, if Lewis doesn't make the finish, that'd be great for the championship, but I can't see it happening. Lawrence, um, before we, also in your expectations too, I, I kind of wanted to pick your brain on, um, I know this is something that Nathan and I spoke about first in the podcast last um, weekend, but Ferrari, again, in the madness that happened, 
it looked like Charles Leclerc just kind of slipped under the radar, made it on the podium again. I know, you know, same position as last year as well. But um, we talked about maybe could he be that little silver lining for Ferrari? Maybe they're not as in for a horrendous season as we had predicted. Granted, then we saw Sebastian Vettel and, you know, it was like top and tail completely. But what did you think there? And does that, from what we've seen from Leclerc, does that give you any better expectations from Ferrari this weekend? I think Ferrari absolutely maximised everything with Leclerc last weekend. And I would be very surprised if they do any better than that this weekend. Um, but it was interesting because they took a different approach to most of the teams, visibly so. So you could see that the rear wing on that car was skinnier than the rear wing on, on all the rivals. And that was essentially to make up for the lack of power that car or that engine has and uh, to ensure that down the straights they have a top speed that was competitive. And it seemed to all kind of work for them. And they just about had enough pace to stay ahead of that midfield pack. But equally, um, when you have less downforce, uh, you have less of a big wing on, 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 the, on the car, you're probably not pulling the same speeds through those high-speed corners. And in a way, with the tyres, with the wear level that everyone else experienced in that long stint, that actually probably weirdly worked for them a little bit. Um, it did not work for Sebastian Vettel. We know Vettel loves a planted car, especially at the rear. And so that skinny wing seemed to play uh, kind of away from him completely. And uh, he's got a lot of work to do to try and make that package assuming they use that package again they could go to a much bigger wing this weekend I don't know especially with the tires being a bit more fragile uh, in terms of degradation but yeah Seb's got some huge work to do because he got really shown up by uh, Charles last weekend the other thing that's different this weekend or it's meant to be anyway is the hotter weather and we've seen whenever it's hot that Mercedes start to struggle and we've only seen it in Friday practice so far because we haven't had a properly hot race but we've had two very hot uh, Friday practice sessions. There was one in Austria and there was one at Silverstone last weekend. And both times uh, we saw the whole field close up in terms of performance, but we saw Mercedes dramatically uh, or relative to the rest of the field uh, drop back. And um, my hope is that if we get a really hot Sunday, uh, that will give Red Bull the possibility to come into the mix with Mercedes. And because we're going to have all these question marks around the tyres and Mercedes, because they had the failures last weekend, well, maybe go a bit more conservative. Red Bull might feel that this is their one big chance to do it. They're going to push. And that's my hope for an exciting race weekend because if, if we get a situation like that where Mercedes are slightly hamstrung by the hotter weather, there is a chance that we get a proper race on our hands probably for the first time this year that I can remember where you've got a Red Bull genuinely challenging um, Mercedes. I know we had that one with the safety car, didn't we, in Austria with Albon where he really should have won. But yeah, um, you know, even without a safety car, I reckon if, if we get the hot temperatures, we could actually see a decent race. At least that's my optimistic view for the weekend. I think that would on, be that'd be good. On the Vettel point, I was just going to mention something that someone who we used to work with pointed out. So Mark Sutton, who is one of the F1 photographers, used to write a column for us. He was at Silverstone and said that at the end of the race, he saw Vettel getting into a car with Otmar Safnauer, who obviously is a racing point team boss. Mm. And the TV feed picked up uh, Vettel and Lawrence Stroll doing the new, the new cool elbow, the elbow elbow tap, whatever that's called, <laughs> just before the race, which I thought was harsh on poor Perez sitting at home having to watch that. Um, but yeah, I thought that was just, I thought it was an interesting side for Vettel. You know, he had that terrible race, um, but yeah, obviously things going on behind the scenes still. Um, oh, just for poor Perez, just while he sat at home having to mull it all over. Um, I just thought, I'd point, I just thought, I'd, you know, bring that up because it didn't seem to get much traction, but I saw it this morning. Um, a few days late, and I thought it was—I thought it was pretty interesting. No, it, it isn't. It? A period of quarantine couldn't really be much worse for Perez than right now, could it? Because you got Sebastian yeah. quite clearly <laughs> angling for your seat, and by the sounds of it, with a offer mm -hmm. in place already. And uh, you know, the best way to convince people they're aware was think you know, face to face, you're better than a Zoom call or a phone call, or whatever. And Perez can't do any of that right now because he's uh, he's in quarantine. Uh. What a tangled web we weave. But you know what? As somebody who I thought was done dirty, a.k.a. Sebastian, by Ferrari, it's, it's nice to see him at least, you know, in the mix again. Doing people dirty is what I was trying to go through, even though we don't recommend that. Keep everything clean, kids. But um, on the point, as what, what Lawrence was saying, that it'll be interesting to see how the heat affects um, Mercedes and if that will give, you know, Red Bull a shot because everyone was talking about whether Max Verstappen makes a huge opportunity last weekend. But, I mean, when we're not talking about Max, I just wanted to stick a pin and just get you guys' thoughts on, on Alex Albon. Like, how bad does he literally need a trouble-free weekend? Or what do you think's just going on there? Because we're talking about 
hometown favorites. And, you know, he is born um, and raised here. And Lando, I suppose, had a great weekend. Luis, I mean, still managed to win. George Russell's always still impressing. But it's just not been the same for Alex. Yeah, Christian Horner said exactly what you said. He said that his big hope for Albon is that he has a boring weekend. And what he means by that, you know, is obviously no issues, no drama, just kind of has an ordinary, quali- you know, ordinary qualifying session, good race where he's kind of, I guess, just driving to the maximum um, of the car. But we haven't really seen that for him. And yeah, I think for him, it seems like a confident thing. Red Bull still seems very confident in him. And, you know, I'd be fascinated to hear what Lawrence thinks. But the, the key for me is that we're not hearing the same stuff that we heard about Gasly last year. You know, it was very much kind of, there was an expectation with Gasly, like he has to be doing better. We expected more from him. But what we're hearing with Albon is they're saying, well, look, what we're seeing on the data is good. It's just, he, you know, little things are going wrong for him. They've changed his race engineer. So he's now working with Simon Rennie, who worked with Daniel Ricciardo. And that seems to have had, you know, a good calming influence on him. There was some good radio we heard where Rennie was telling him after he'd had his crash, after he'd, had, he'd lost a bit of time in FP3, he was saying, look, calm down, just do your laps and get on with it. And I think that that's, that shows you how much they're trying to help him. But you're absolutely right. He needs a strong weekend. And I tweeted um, during the race that the longer this spell goes on, the more that Lewis-Albon clash in Austria will seem like a sliding doors moment because it would have changed everything for him. You know, you win that race or get that podium. You you can afford to have some bad races after that because you've got credit in the bank. You know, it's almost like he's chasing that good result still. So I, I'm really rooting for him. You know, I really like I really like Albon. I really rate him, and he's not in the best of situations because you know Max is just so good. And imagine trying to beat Max Verstappen every week. Same as with Bottas and Lewis. So um, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. He's one to watch this weekend, and hopefully he can turn it around. All right. I think it says a lot that they changed the engineer, actually, because it's almost an admission that there could have been an issue on their side as much as on the driver's side. But equally, it then puts the pressure on. Uh, Albon to perform because now he's got a very experienced engineer, someone who won races, engineering Daniel Ricciardo's car. So, you know, it's not that side anymore. You can say that much. So, um, I, I, I think he will, or at least I, I really hope he will improve. And the thing is, when Red Bull miss him most is situations like the uh, picture I tried to paint of the Sunday's Grand Prix in hot conditions. If you don't have a second car in the mix there and you're racing against a team that has two cars, uh, the pit stop strategy is so much in favour of the team with two cars in the race rather than just uh, the team with, with one car in the race, you know, because when you pit and where you come out and how much you'll be held up by the rival car, you know, all comes into play. And Red Bull need, if they're going to win a race this year uh, in circumstances like that or when something goes a little bit awry, then really it helps so much having that other car in the mix. And um, Albon's pace at the moment, uh, you know, I want to try and defend it, but it's really hard to defend. You know, it's that far off. And um, the hope is that there's a clear reason that they're working through and it's going to come out of the system. Um, they, he's certainly not been helped by the amount of changes they've made on that car. Uh, the direction in terms of the development of the car, if you look at the nose and the front wing and the changes they've been making, is changing session to session. You know, And as a young driver, you've got to get your head around that. You've got to... Uh, give the team feedback on what is working, what isn't working. You've got to make sure that's right because that's going to determine your whole weekend. And you don't have that time, which would be an ideal situation where the car works from FP1 onwards mm-hmm. and you're, all you're doing is tweaking little bits and kind of getting exactly where you want it. When you're doing those comparison work, you know, it, it, it's so much harder. And we've got to remember Albon in his second year in Formula One, his first year was split between two teams. You know, it's, yeah. It's a really hard situation. Plus this year, they had testing at the start of the year, then a massive gap before they got in the cars again. All of this is not ideal for someone who doesn't have uh, that much experience and is right in the, uh, in the spotlight. Um, the interesting other side to all this is that Pierre Gasly, all of a sudden, is looking like the old Pierre Gasly. He's looking like you know the F2 champion that he is, or GP2, whatever it was when he won it. Um, and he's looking uh, you know, like the guy that they wanted to promote to Red Bull originally. So... Mm-hmm. There is a little bit of pressure coming from below, but Red Bull will have to be really careful about this because they have to know it's the driver that's underperforming and not the team in some way. And I think that's why that engineer switch is so important and uh, seeing how Albon progresses basically from this race onwards uh, will will be key. Uh, But he's showing a lot of the signs that maybe Gazi didn't have in terms of aggression in the races, making uh, decisive moves. And I think that is... um, giving him a little bit of credit, the credit in the bank that they talked about, a little bit of credit with Red Bull that, uh, that they know they've got a driver who's a proper racer. And if everything 
clicks into place, he should be, he should be a genuine uh, threat at the front. Oh, great. I think we could definitely move on to pit stop predictions. But before we do, I suppose I'll just group them together because, again, I want to know your expectations on them come this weekend based on what we saw last weekend. And that's um, with Renault and McLaren. McLaren, we saw Lando again in a pretty good position, if you ask me. And obviously things didn't go as well for Carlos Sainz. Whereas Renault, you know, to see Danny Rick back there in fourth and then Ocon in sixth, I thought that was a great day um, as well for Renault. So can we expect probably another good showing from them there and what do you expect from the hometown boy Lando now that we've been talking about all the hometown boys well Ricardo has kind of gone under the radar a bit but he's really performing well and you it's interesting because I, I keep remembering that um Lawrence in our pre in our second pre-season uh review show ahead of the new start of the season I think you predicted Renault being the best of the rest team and I think they're still <laughs> a little way off you know those other midfield teams but Renault they're not by any stretch doing badly you know they're taking the fight to McLaren when they can and um yeah I think that it's worth keeping an eye on Renault and when you've got Ricardo there I think he's you know he's quite fired up and he clearly he's clearly enjoying that those fights with McLaren the team he's joining next yeah. year it's almost like he's proving to them you know what's coming next year um it'll be fascinating as well and again if, if Racing Point have both cars in there we might see a different fight but um, I've pretty impressed so far with Ricardo, and we haven't we haven't bigged him up as much as we've bigged up Lando. So I I figured we might as well do it in this show. We need to come up with a nickname for 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 Danny Rick, even though it yeah. is Danny Rick. To be Danny fair, Rick's but already a pretty good one. Exactly, Danny Rick's so, already yeah. But we'll 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 come up with one that way we can have that as a segment too, along with Sunday signs and last lap Lando coming on. <laughs> but Lars, would you any expectations from from the two from Renault or from McLaren? Yeah, so Renault, um, I think, have a fairly substantial, hopefully a, an important uh, mechanical upgrade coming to the car as well. And that was one of the reasons why I felt that they might end up um, a bit further up the order by the end of, by the end of all this, uh, this year. Because uh, not so much that they had a great car to start with, but they have the budget and the need and the kind of manufacturer support to develop. And so my hope is that um, we'll see another step again from Renault this weekend. Um, Interestingly, when we were talking about best of the rest, we were not we were including Ferrari in the top three, weren't we? And it was who's going yeah. to finish fourth. So I might get Renault fourth correct, but there could well be a racing point or a McLaren ahead of them and a Ferrari behind. But um, yeah, we'll have to see how, how that all pans out. Um, I think uh, Lando's doing a fantastic job at the moment. Uh, I know we big him up a lot on this podcast, but he's really proving it. And uh, I think science has been incredibly unlucky in that, um, in that system. McLaren certainly... Uh, last weekend yeah last week that, was pretty gutting wasn't it you know he that really deserved was, that yeah. fourth place or if fifth was going to become fourth and, and I feel like that happens a lot to science at the start of a year but then he his consistency will, will win out over the course of a season so um but having said that yeah when you consider science just picked by Ferrari as you know the best driver on offer with once they'd kind of kicked out Vettel and uh, you've got Lando Norris in just his second year in F1 seemingly on a similar level possibly on a higher level over one lap, that's pretty special because Ferrari made that decision based on lots of information and lots of things. And sure, they wanted probably a driver to be a bit of a number two, so the clerk, but uh, science is still a very, very good driver. And the fact that Lando's looking so good next to him uh, is significant. All right, well, I think it's perfect timing now to have a little pit stop because um, normally this is where I'll take your predictions, but we're going to take the, the fans' predictions and questions as well that we always tweet out on our social platforms. We absolutely look forward to them because <laughs> some of you guys really, really, really are bold, but we'll get the ones from our experts shortly after this in our new segment. So let's start off with an honorable mention on YouTube. Zemo saying that Mercedes are so fast, they win in tricycle mode. That's true, or, well, at least for one of them. Um, on Twitter now, Jan Vieden says, Lewis Hamilton will finish the race with four wheels. That is bold. That is actually, that's a bold prediction, considering what um, Lawrence has also just explained about the heat. Dylan says, Lewis will blow another tire and actually loses the lead, and Charles Leclerc will win. And it's important to know that his profile picture is actually of Charles Leclerc, so might be a little bias and wishful thinking there in that one. <laughs> CK Morthy says, will Pirelli fix the tire issue or will the cars back off as in the 2005 US Grand Prix? Yeah, so anyone who's not familiar with the 2005 US Grand Prix, that was when Michelin uh, weren't confident that their tire could deal with the banking that we had uh, uh, part of the Indianapolis track. And so uh, all the um, Michelin runners, which is basically all the cars bar six that were on Bridgestone tires, uh, returned to the pits before the start of the race. 
So considering they're all pretty tires and uh, that would mean that we wouldn't have a race, I'm, I'm pretty hopeful at least that that doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, it'll be, it's, it, like, as we talked about at length at the start of this podcast, it'd be very interesting to see um, how the different teams manage it. Uh, clearly some teams uh, didn't have problems at all. So, uh, you know, I think they'll be looking to kind of continue like that and then we'll take advantage of McLaren and Mercedes who may be a bit more wary. That did happen again. At least there'd be no booing fans like there was at Indianapolis. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But we just have all the engineers in the paddock booing them. That would be hilarious, actually. That would be a brilliant story. Eagle Mustache says, Alex Albon to finish ahead of Max Verstappen. Ooh, well, I suppose we'll take that, considering all the stuff that he's, you know, had to contend with these last couple of weeks. Chung Yi Hao says, is it bold to predict that we'll be looking forward to punctures again? Also, Danny Rick to finish to win his first podium of the season. Nana Nebu says, reverse grid, since the, Mercy, since the Mercedes are far up the road, let's see what they can do from behind. <laughs> Imagine if that happened. Just well, hey, like... <laughs> this race was scheduled as one of the reverse grid races, and it wasn't for the race itself, it was for the qualifying race. And right now, with the championship the way it is, oh, you know, a bit of excitement like that injected into it would be fantastic, wouldn't it? You know, because otherwise, Mercedes were one point whatever seconds it was clear of the rest of the field in qualifying last weekend. And there's no real reason to suggest that would be different this weekend, unless it's a bit hotter, you might lose a few temps, but they're not going to overcome that advantage. Whereas if we had a reverse grid qualifying race, uh, you know, we, we could probably say with at least a degree of certainty that we wouldn't have a Mercedes on pole. So, um, yeah, reverse grid, eh? That, and that's that, that where... Was a great idea. <laughs> yeah, it does sound good. And that's where, when we were talking about Bottas earlier, that would have been fascinating this weekend to see how he played the risk reward versus Lewis. Because Lewis probably would think, okay, I don't need to get my, you know, get my nose stuck into a fight. But Bottas is like, well, I'm going to have to get as far up the grid as possible, get myself away from Lewis so I've got some breathing room in the race. So it kind of does add an element to it on a Saturday. So yeah, Lawrence is right. It's a shame the, the world champions are allowed to block that because it, well, um, yeah, it seems to be a bad idea. On that note, I mean, we've got more people suggesting that Daniel Lavender says Mercedes will do the race in reverse and still be 0.25 seconds quicker a lap than any other car on the grid and still finish the race at first and second. So, Very specific. no chance. I know. 0.25. Like, like there's some science behind it. Oh, he might have done his, he might have done his math. Richard Roberts says, same track, similar conditions. At what point during tire degradation, <laughs> Lawrence, do teams consider it wise to box a driver? And has Pirelli managed to come up with a solution, I suppose? Hence the investigation. Um, yeah, very similar to what we said before. There isn't a specific solution apart from upping the tire pressures and uh, the hope that having the uh, the softer tyres will mean more degradation, which means no one's going for those long stints. So that's the solution uh, that they've got. What, what they could have done and what was talked about, though, would have proved incredibly unpopular with all the teams that didn't have a failure, uh, was to put a mandatory limit on the amount of laps you can do on any tyre. So let's say 30, uh, which would obviously dictate strategy entirely. Um, but it would mean that they never got into that um, wear issue area. Uh, but they decided that that wasn't necessary. So that kind of gives you, I guess, gives you a bit of an insight into uh, how confident they are that just the higher pressures and uh, the, the more degradation will solve the issue, that they didn't have to go as extreme as saying, you can't take these tires past, say, lap 30. All right, and final prediction, or it's another question from Kogosi. He says, will Verstappen try to win on three wheels too? I suppose he might as well try anything, right? I mean, if it works for Lewis, it'll work for me, right? I feel like well, Max it, is the it, kind of guy that would do that. that. Would, try, would be like, yeah, I'll try that. But it's, it's an interesting conversation because he went in for that pit stop for the yeah. fastest lap. And you think, well, actually, you know, if, if you're told that, and there was some suggestion that maybe they were doing it because they were also worried about a failure. Yeah. But if you're given Max, like, you might have a failure, but you might win the race. He would have gone for, you know, um, I'll, I'll take that. I'll stay out and uh, attempt to win it. Even if, even if I have a failure at 180 miles per hour in Beckett's, he would have done it. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, I, I think he would take anything right now to, to, to get back to the front. Yeah, seeing two cars with three wheels racing towards the end for the win would have been cool. <laughs> I was about like, to say, just both crawling to the finish line. We should have a tricycle race for sure with all of them and just see, just see what happens. 
All right, well, now it's time for the moment we've all been waiting for our new segment, Nate's Bald, Bald, Bald Predictions. We're definitely going to work. We're yeah. good. <laughs> we're going to, I have to say it three times because we're talking about three tires. So three <laughs> shiny tires, three shiny heads. That's Nate. We'll definitely come up with a cool jingle to introduce this segment as we have for Lawrence Gets Nerdy uh, eventually. But for now, this is where we can finally get Nate and Lawrence to probably see if they've been inspired by all of your wild, bold predictions and see, well, I'll get you guys' actual predictions for what you think will happen this week. And then let me know some bold ones that you might, you know, chuck in now that our audiences have inspired you. And we have seen that it's 2020, so wild things can happen. Nate, it's your segment, so we're going to start with you. So I've got two. One of them is based on things Lawrence has said and what he wrote on ESPN.com yesterday. Um, I think we will see another puncture towards the end of the race for somebody high up in the order, purely for the reasons that he explained. I think there's enough of a margin there that teams are going to want to push that boundary. And someone is going to think, well, look, everyone else is going to be going conservative or everyone else is going to be safe. We gain something by staying out there on the limit. So I think we'll see the same again uh, at the end of the race. Maybe not as dramatic. I think Mercedes are going to play it as safe as they can. Uh, well, you would expect they would anyway. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be my one. Obviously we hope it, all goes ahead. If, if that does happen, it's safe and it's not super dangerous. But um, I think teams are going to be pushing it. <laughs> hey, these, these bold predictions aren't as bold as I'd hoped. I, I, I was trying to think of one just then. I was I as well. Segment, so I I've, already up, said, but... I've already kind of ruined it earlier in the show because I was like, I think it'll be Lewis Bottas for Stafford on the podium. No. So I kind of ruined it for myself. They will get they better. Don't... Somebody chuck Danny better. Rick up there. No, Put uh, yeah. Daddy Rick higher, or even Lando, what. maybe. Look, look, here it is. I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that tweet. That I do agree with that tweet. Actually, Danny Rick first podium. That that should be but, my first. That should be my first bold prediction. But that's not Nate's bold prediction. That's uh, if someone sorry, else has had it, Vettel out of Q two again, because <gasps> he just got through last week. I think he's. I think he's cooked. I think he's done. So uh, he's Gaston out of Q two. Gaston Sebastian Vettel. Yeah. I mean, he might be after after you know um, his flirtation with Racing Point. He might not be that bothered. He's to be fair. He's distracted. He's distracted. He can't keep his can't keep his eyes on the road. Can't wait to go back to you know hanging out with Otmar again. <laughs> I must say, I absolutely love the Danny Rick podium prediction as well as the Hulkenberg one. I'm not sure which one I like more. So I hope I hope we see. At least I mean, both one. on the podium would be cool. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Imagine both on the podium. Oh my goodness, we. And Lando. <laughs> That's if we have a reverse grid race, which I don't think we're <laughs> we probably won't have, but it'll be interesting. Well, that's all from us today. Make sure to catch this weekend's 70th anniversary British Grand Prix on ESPN. And we'll be back after Sunday's race on the ESPN Formula One podcast. Bye for now. All right, well, that's enough tire talk for now because as Lauren said, we'll just have to wait and see exactly what happens, wait and see, you know, which team can manage their tires. But let's be honest, we kind of, 
we do like the fireworks, at least in the end. We'll see, we'll see exactly what happens come Sunday on a scorching weekend at Silverstone. But speaking of Silverstone, I mean, last weekend we saw things went all the way downhill for Valtteri Bottas. It's been a bit of a disappointing week for him. But there is some good news, I guess, in terms of contract signing. He has signed a new contract at Mercedes. Nate, what's the details there? Yeah, so this has kind of become a theme of Bottas since he joined Mercedes is these one-year deals that extend his stay there. Uh, he's been the case since 2017. Um, and really, we knew as soon as George Russell confirmed he was staying with Williams, this was pretty much obvious that this was going to happen. Um, you know, from a fan perspective, I think a lot of people would have liked to see Russell go there. Um, you know, Russell's been really impressive with Williams, but from Mercedes' point of view, you can absolutely see why they'd take Bottas. You know, he's, he obviously fits into that team perfectly doesn't rock the boat with Lewis. Lewis really enjoys working with him, which I think sometimes when Lewis says these things about his teammates, you know, like, oh, I really, you know, he's really pushing me and stuff. I actually think it's quite genuine with Lewis. Like he really gets on with him. And if you yeah. compare it to the relationship he had with, uh, with Rosberg, that must feel like a night and day difference. So it makes a lot of sense. It's not the most exciting signing ever because I don't think Bottas can beat Lewis the championship. But at the same time, if you're Mercedes, I don't think you want that. You know, you know you're going to win the championship anyway. So why, why complicate it? Um, so yeah, it's, um, it, it'll be interesting because every year we go into it being like, this is Bottas's year. He has to, you know, he has to prove himself this year. He has to, but next year, Russell will be in the final year of his Williams deal. So it will be now or never for Bottas. You know, he will have to prove that he can stay there long-term because Mercedes have this great young talent. And also for mm -hmm. Mercedes then, the concerning thing for them is that they lose Russell in the same way they lost Ocon, you know, if they don't put him in that top seat. So the pressure will be on him next year. But it's hard to know what else he can do, really, to, to prove it. Unless he can win the championship. I think that's really the only thing he can do there. Or if Lewis leaves for some reason next year, you know, we're expecting him to sign a new deal as well. So, yeah, hard to get super excited about it. You know, Bottas is in that kind of Barrichello role that, that he played to Schumacher. And everyone liked Barrichello. Everyone likes Bottas. But no one ever thought Barrichello was a threat to Schumacher. And it's the same, in my opinion, in this, in this case. Well, I know exactly how important it is to get that dynamic, right? Lawrence, um, what do you think about it? I mean, of course, because with, with this contract, I know there was a lot of talk about, you know, George Russell, and he did say he was happy that, you know, Williams, obviously, why would they let him go? We're seeing what he's done just so far this season that we've started. So what do you, what do you make of it? Yeah, I think um, Mercedes probably would have been, would have toyed with the idea of, uh, of bringing George across, um, even for next year. But Williams were quite clear that they wanted that third year of that contract to remain in place. And I think part of that is because they're still looking for a buyer for the team. And uh, one of the important things going forward, uh, at least in the short term, is that you have a driver of George's standard uh, in the car. And, um, you know, and that's quite an attraction for, uh, for any kind of potential buyers. So I think that was um, a key factor in why Williams really put their foot down on that one. Uh, at which point um, it was a no-brainer for Mercedes, you know, why upset the situation they have right now? It works very well. Clearly, car development, their streets ahead of everyone else, uh, and the two drivers' impact on that. As Nate said, that relationship is perfect. It's perfect for Lewis going chasing titles. And, uh, and then you know you've got a driver that, you know, if it came down to it, Valtteri's good enough to, with a good car to, you know, kind of beat the rest of the guys as well as he did last year. So um, I think it's, uh, it's a good thing. But I agree with Nate. Next year is going to be crucial for Valtteri Bottas' career because. We're kind of already assuming that he's lost this one. He's 30 points behind after so many races. But, you know, there's a chance that, say, let's, Lewis has two reliability issues in the next two races and it looks very different all of a sudden. But on the basis that, you know, Lewis has a 30-point lead at this stage, already looking pretty locked on for this title, next year becomes so important for Valtteri. Because if he doesn't win that title, then, uh, you know, it's very hard for him to create an argument as to why he should stay at the mm -hmm. team when you've got someone like George Russell waiting in the wings. But... Yeah, I mean, with Mercedes, the other thing is like going into a regulation change uh, beyond 2021 into 2022. In a way, the more you keep the same, you know, when you've got so much other stuff changing, the better it is. And uh, I think Mercedes right now are just in that sweet spot of a team that operates on such a high level. I think it's a bit unfair to give Bottas the Barrichello comparison, mainly because Barrichello uh, was signed as a number two driver. You know, in his contract, he was a number two driver to Michael. Uh, Valtteri isn't, they start on evil, yeah, equal footing. And if uh, Valtteri puts in the performances early in the year, if he gets a lead in the championship, uh, you know, he effectively, you know, becomes um, the driver that Mercedes would push towards the title. So that's very hypothetical because it's not happened yet. But 
Um, but yeah, I, I think he, the one thing he demands and the one thing he's got there is that equal standing. And that's part of why that relationship will work so well as well. You know, there's, there's nobody worried about what the other guy's doing. And Valtteri's always very honest with himself. He doesn't look mm. to Lewis as to why Lewis has, you know, what's he done to get an unfair advantage. He looks at himself as to why he hasn't been able to match Lewis. And that's a very healthy environment within that team. And then um, also, like you said, that next year is probably going to be a now or never year for Valtteri. Um, would you say this weekend is a now or never weekend for Valtteri as well? I know that we are tempted to say, okay, let's just give it to Lewis just now. Um, 30 points. Even Lewis himself, though, has said that he doesn't really think that that gives him enough breathing space. Um, Lawrence also just points out there are reliability issues that we could see happen. But is this weekend, how good does Valtteri need to come this weekend? And is there anything he can do? Because I've also noticed a lot of talks from what we were touching on just in the last podcast, the reaction pod after Silverstone, about maybe he played it a little too safe um, in the race. I know nobody could have predicted what happened with the tire, but Lawrence, you could probably chime in after too. But is there anything that Valtteri can do going forward so that people can stop saying he's probably playing it too safe when, you know, Lewis is obviously not? I think from this point, Bottas has to be aggressive. You know, when you're that far behind, you can't really sit back and let things come to you. You know, even if, let's say he starts finishing second behind Lewis, you, he's still dropping seven points to him every time he does that. And when you're 30 points back, you can't be doing it. So he really needs to kind of almost go at it like he, every, you know, we always hear in football, they say this is like a cup final, which I absolutely hate. But you have to, he has to act as if he has to beat Lewis every race and just treat each race as a standalone event. I've got to beat Lewis. He's got enough events to claw that gap back. But if it, was, if it wasn't Lewis, you know, you might back him to do it. But Lewis, I think Lawrence said it perfectly about the team being in that sweet spot. And Lewis is perfectly in that sweet spot as well. So we don't really get more than a couple of Mercedes like disaster races. And we had one. And unfortunately for Bottas, he was on the worst end of it, which was just purely bad, you know, purely bad luck. It could have been the other way around. Um, so, yeah, I think he's just got to be aggressive. And this weekend, with the calendar how it is, we don't have as many races so he needs you know we don't know how many races we're going to have beyond the calendar as it stands at the moment so he hasn't he hasn't really got that much time i i think you know it, it seems like a long time but before we know it we'll be midway through the season so if he's still over a race win behind lewis i can't see it happening Lawrence, i think, what do you think? yeah as i was gonna say i think a really good example of where valtteri wasn't aggressive enough was at the start last weekend he got a better start than lewis he was alongside him into the first corner but from what I saw, it looked like he backed off and he let Lewis kind of take lead. Now, you guarantee if that was Nico Rosberg back in 2016, he would have made Lewis have the decision of what happens next. Do we have an accident? Does Lewis run wide? Either way, you know, uh, it would be Nico or Valtteri in this case, you know, pushing forward and potentially getting that position. And, you know, and that's fair because uh, Valtteri got the better start, you know, and that was his one opportunity. That was his one window. We saw during the race, how difficult it was for him to try and get back into that race afterwards. I mean, he destroyed his tyre doing it, you know, as did Lewis, but he really, you know, that was a big uh, part of it because those cars were running pretty fast for the majority of that race, trading fastest laps. But he never got close enough, or he never got as close as he did on that first lap uh, to actually taking the position. So that is exactly the situation where if Valtteri's going to beat Lewis and, you know, he's going to have to get his elbows out, that is a perfect example of, of, of where he needs to do it. Um, the other thing, which is incredibly difficult for Valtteri, is beating Lewis over a qualifying lap uh, because, you know, you're up against the guy with 91 pole positions in a league of his own in terms of records and uh, trying to beat him there is so difficult because at the moment when it's a two-horse race, that pole position is worth even more uh, for all the reasons we saw in, in last weekend's race. So, yeah, that, that, that's what he needs to find. And I don't know whether it means sacrificing a bit of the race setup for qualifying, if that's possible. You know, we talk about, or we've heard about drivers doing that in the past. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to be as dogged as possible when you're in the lead. But yeah, he's got to do something. Uh, he's got to change something up. Um, but what, what he was saying after the race, interestingly, is that his approach is actually going to be, I'm going to take each race as its own event, completely blank out the fact that I'm 30 points behind in the championship and look at each event as, uh, as its own race, go and try and win it. I guess it's that cup final mentality. It's the mentality we saw Rosberg have. And we got so frustrated when he used to say that. We're like, Nico, you're within, you know, like reaching distance of your first ever world championship. How do you feel about it this weekend? And he would just say, well, you know, I'm treating it like any other race weekend. It's, you know, we've got to get through practice first. Then we look at qualifying. Then we look at the race. And it's really dull uh, when you're trying to get a quote out of someone. But 
it's also true that that's probably the only way you can ever try and overcome that kind of advantage is just sorry that kind of points disadvantage mm. is just not to think about it and just to go into each race and uh, and get get the best you can well we haven't had confirmation yet and in the kind of you know tradition of broadcasting i could be proved wrong but it does look like um nico holkenberg will continue in that seat um perez uh, obviously had that positive test come back and there was some question over the timing of that positive test and whether that meant that he would have to quarantine for seven days or 10 days. Mm. And the Public Health England uh, advice, which is basically what Form 1 has to run off when it's in the UK, uh, was uh, changed from seven days to 10 days in between that time he was taking a test. So the first test he had, which I think was reported as inconclusive, and I think it was inconclusive, but under again, under Public Health England uh, regulations, that would have been considered uh, a positive test. So at that time, the advice was only seven days, in which case, if, again, big if, he uh, has a negative test come back, he would have served that seven days quarantine in time to get back in the car on Friday and start the race weekend. Um, but if it's the 10 day that it's, it's under, then um, it would obviously run into this weekend and he wouldn't be able to, uh, to take part. So we never really got a clear uh, uh, kind of we never really got a clear answer on that one. I think uh, to some extent we're still waiting, uh, but it does sound like Hulkenberg's uh, got the seat. Um, I, Perez posted on Instagram, I don't know if you saw it, but he was in uh, what looked like a quite a small kitchen, uh, quarantining, said he'd had no symptoms and that he'd been training his neck all week and kind of, you know, trying to do as much as he could within the confines of his uh, apartment or house or wherever he's staying or hotel, or I'm not sure what it is, um, you know, to try and make sure he's ready. But yeah, on, on, from everything that we're hearing so far, it looks like Hulkenberg will remain in, in that seat and uh, Hulkenberg will have to wait until the Spanish Grand Prix um, to make a comeback, uh, hopefully having returned a negative test uh, as, as soon as possible. But I, I can imagine he's been tested a lot uh, by doctors um, fairly recently and so far we've heard nothing. So you would have thought if that, uh, if that test had come back, we would have heard by now.